Amen. It is a joy to be with you guys today. My name is Sarah Stevens, and I'm the director of ministries here at Celebration Church and the chief of staff. And we're going to open up the word together today. I just want to echo what Pastor Isaiah said. If you are visiting with us, I hope that you will come back next Sunday. I know our senior pastor, Pastor Frankie, would love the opportunity to meet you. He's in the lobby after every service, just shaking hands. And if you're new to Celebration, if you're a newcomer, we do a special sort of newcomer's greeting um, on the first Sunday of every month. It's called Growth Track 101, and Pastor Frankie's there, and Pastor Allie's there, because sometimes the lobby's not enough. It's kind of like a high-buy thing. And so that class will give you a chance to really kind of connect the dots and we can trade smiles and trade stories. So I'd love to have you back. So if you've got your Bible today, open up to Luke chapter 5. That's where I'm going to be today, Luke chapter 5. And uh, we're going to dive into this together. And I want to talk to you today about what happens when we reach the breaking point. Now, the breaking point is different for every single person in this room. Some people, the breaking point is where that bank account goes from something to nothing. And that's your breaking point. That, like, money is your stressor. And it's like, all things stop. You're, you're right there. For other people, it doesn't matter what the bank account says. For you, the breaking point is the health the health of your body, the health of your loved ones. And you, when that doctor calls and says, I want to make some more tests, I want to run some more tests, that's your breaking point. For others, it's, it's not money, it's not a health issue, it's a relationship. You have tried everything you know how to do. Everything that you have in your willpower to do, but it doesn't matter. That relationship that you're in, you could be a married couple living right now as roommates because you cannot divorce each other and go get two houses. You got to stay in the one you're in. That's your breaking point. It doesn't matter what you do. That relationship is at a point where nothing has worked and nothing you can do is going to make it happen. For others, it's a season maybe in parenting. I see a lot of wisdom colored hair in the audience today. And for many of you, nothing scares you anymore because you've seen it all. Others of us, we're still scared by our children. <laughs> we haven't seen it all. And so every day is a new season. And it's maybe, you know, where we're at the gap with our children and we're praying them through something. or We've dedicated them to the Lord. And now they're, they're trying to make their own decision if they're going to stay with the Lord. That's your stressor. That's your breaking point. It doesn't matter what it is today. Everybody's got a different story. Everybody's got it different. Nobody's got it better. But all breaking points share this one characteristic. It's where everything you're familiar with Everything that you have experience in, expertise in, your raw hustle, all that you've leaned on is not enough for the situation you're in. And as much as you want to hear from God and follow what he has for you, you're not sure you have the faith to move forward from where you're at. So you can't stay where you are with what's familiar and what God's calling to you to. You don't know if you have the faith to move forward in that. It's like the familiar and the faith are pulling apart for you. And that is at the center of everybody's breaking point. Well, that's what I want to talk about today. What you and I do when we find ourselves at the breaking point. And my message today is going to center around three themes. We're going to unpack those in a minute. The first one is obedience. The second one is relationships. And the last one is repentance. And so with that, let's open up the word together. I'm going to read out of the NIV. If you have your Bible, it's Luke chapter 5, verse 4. 
And if you don't, just take a look at the screens. They'll have it up there for you in a minute. But I'm reading here, and it says in verse 4, When he, Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. So we're going to unpack this together today. And so what's just happened in this scene of Scripture, we have a man named Peter who's a fan of Jesus's, but he hasn't quite made the leap to become a follower of Jesus. So he's heard Jesus preach with power and authority in the synagogue. He's seen Jesus draw these huge crowds. He even lent Jesus a boat so he could stand on the boat and teach the people on the shore. He's seen Jesus heal people. His own mother-in-law has been healed. And then if that doesn't beat all, Jesus turns Peter's house into an all-night revival service, and he heals everybody in the town that comes to Peter's house. So Peter has seen Jesus move in power and authority. And then Jesus does what he does to every single one of us. He comes and he messes with Peter. And he messes with you and I. Because Jesus is in his lane doing what Jesus does, teaching with power and authority. And Peter's in his lane doing what Peter does. He knows how to fish. He's a very successful businessman. And Peter's like, as long as Jesus stays in his lane, I can support what Jesus is doing. And as long as I stay in my lane, everything's going to be all right. But that's not the way God works. God loves you too much to let you stay in your own lane and do your own thing. He doesn't love you from a distance. He loves you up close. And so he comes and he finds Peter and he says, Peter, you haven't caught anything all night. How about you let your nets out in the deep to catch some fish? So the carpenter, Jesus, is telling the fishermen how to fish. And for you and I, we all have this encounter with Christ where he knows exactly when to ring our doorbell and he starts telling us what we think we know how to do better. And you and I have a choice to make in that moment, just like Peter. Peter's got a lot riding on the next few decisions that he makes, way more than whether or not he's going to catch fish and make a profit that day. There's a whole lot more at stake. Scripture tells us that Jesus invited Peter to follow him and Peter turned him down and went back to fishing. This is the second time Jesus is coming for Peter. And he has come to Peter when Peter's confidence in everything he knows how to do has been shaken. He is sitting at the end of a night where he has worked hard and has nothing to show for it. That is when Jesus is ringing Peter's doorbell. And Jesus has this amazing way of coming to you and I. When everything we've leaned on, everything we think we know how to do, when our hustle isn't enough, he comes and he rings our doorbell. And he says, how about you try it my way? And Peter's got some critical decisions to make. And Peter makes three key choices that show you and I exactly how we should respond when we are at that same place. And Jesus comes and says, why don't you try it my way? And the first thing is Peter chose obedience. 
Peter chose obedience. In verse 5, it says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Peter is tired. Peter is emotionally a little bit raw. Peter's experience is like, look, I don't know a lot, but I know how to catch fish. This is not the time of day. That is not the depth of water. I I'm a pretty, have a pretty firm grasp of the facts here. But I love Peter's decision. It says, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Raw obedience is what it takes for you and I to go from what we're familiar with to what God's calling us to. Raw obedience. Have you ever had a conversation like this? Maybe you're a parent in the room. I want you to clean your room. And there's a dialogue that ensues because I don't know about you, but my kids don't say, okay, I'll go do that. Like we, we typically have debate about it, you know? And we're working on that in the name of Jesus. But it's a dialogue. It's like, well, mom, it's my room. And I know where everything is. No, I want you to clean your room. If I close the door, you won't see it. I want you to clean your room. Um, but my stuff, it's where I know I can find it. I want you to clean your room. And then eventually we get to the place where it's because I said so. I promised myself I would never say that to my children as it was said to me. And I had an out-of-body experience when I hear I am, you know, I know everything about children and don't have any. And then I had, God gave me these beautiful children and I'm sitting there and I said, because I said so. And I thought my mother was in the room. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> well, you and I sometimes do the same thing with God. He puts something in our spirit. He speaks to us through his word. What we've been doing is in contrast to what he's called us to. And we have this dialogue with God. But at the end of the day, he is God and we are not. And because he said so, that should be enough for us to obey. Amen? And Peter makes that right choice. choice. He, he obeys. Now, this is the thing. I struggle with obedience. Maybe you struggle with obedience. The Apostle Paul struggled with obedience. If that is a struggle for you, you are in great company. Romans 7, 15 says, this is Paul writing. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He says, I don't understand what I'm doing. I do what I don't want to do, and what I should do, I don't do. He's saying, I, I'm struggling with this thing. If you are struggling with obedience, you are in good company. And I've got some some advice for you, some, some equipping for you. Have you guys ever seen the Snickers commercials? You know, you're not yourself when you're hungry. You know, and those guys are playing flag football and he's playing like Betty White. You know, it's like, man, you're playing like Betty White out there. And he's like, oh, rips open a Snickers and he says, here, eat this. And he's like, why? Because you're not yourself when you're hungry, right? So I don't know about you guys, but maybe when you're hungry, you get hangry. Hangry is where you are hungry and angry at the same time. This is what bears are 24-7. And I become a bear when I get hungry and angry at the same time. So here, maybe you're not yourself when you're angry. When you're hungry, you're a troublemaker. Are you a troublemaker when you're hungry? You just go looking for trouble. Maybe you get a little bit like a hot mess. You are a hot mess when you are hungry. This one is for someone I know. I'm going to save this for them for later. <laughs> you're not yourself when you're hungry. Well, the same thing applies in the spirit. If all you do is eat with us on a Sunday morning, it's like an all-you-can-eat Chinese buffet. 
I love those. My husband loves those. He eats and he eats and he's like, oh, I'm not going to eat for a week. And then about 3.30, he's starving, right? <laughs> That's the way Chinese food works. But it's, if all you do is eat with us on Sunday morning, six days out of the week, you're not going to have the energy. You're not going to have the strength. You're not going to have the reserves to make the right decision because your spirit man is starving. And the enemy's going to come up to you and he's going to say, hey, you know, Jesus wants you to do that, but I think you know how to do it better. So what do you and I do? We have to eat a little bit every day. So that means when we are in the car on our way to the office, we turn the radio off. We listen to a little bit of worship. We're like, mm, that'll get me through. I'll get me, I can get in the office with that. And you eat a little bit. And then maybe you're in the middle of these meetings and you take 10 minutes out and you say, hey, I'm going I'm to need a minute. And you close your office door. Or maybe you go to the ladies' room, the men's room, and you're like, Jesus, I need you. Well, you go a little bit. Well, you have a little bit. And you can get to the next moment. Maybe you commute all the way home and you're sitting in your driveway. And you got to go inside and face people who share your same last name. But you are not the same person who left that morning. Let me show you what you do. You open up two of these. <laughs> and you double fist it. I you time, Lord, I, need, I open up that Bible app and I put a little word in me before I go and I face those people. Because you're not yourself when you're hungry, amen? So you feed that spirit man. And when you have fed it, there's the reserve you need there. So when those critical decisions come, when those choices come, when that enemy comes and he tries to tempt you with something, you have the strength, the energy, and the wisdom you need in that moment. The enemy's walking around just waiting for you to get hungry, just waiting for you to get weak so that he can catch you at that opportune moment. And we got to stay fueled up, church. Amen? Because you're not yourself when you're hungry. So here's the deal. Obedience is not... Just in the hearing, obedience is in the doing. So Peter hears the Lord say, go put your nets out in this deep water. But verse 6 says, when they had done so. So because you said so, but when they had done so. That's when they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. The tide turned for Peter when he not only heard the word of the Lord, but he did what the Lord asked him to. And the tide will turn for you and I when we stop hearing what God is calling us to and we start moving toward what God is calling us to. A lot of folks want all of the blessing with half the obedience. And that's not the way it works. It's obedience and blessing. They are like hinges on the same door and your actions are what open and close it. Amen? So that was the first thing. Peter chose obedience. The second thing in this scene that we see in Scripture is that Peter chose relationships. It says in verse 7 that they had signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and take hold with them. And they came and filled both boats, so they began to sink. When the nets began to break, Peter signaled for help for his partners and his friends to come to his rescue. Not after the nets had broken. He didn't say, hey, come help me pick up these pieces. It was when the nets were starting to break. He needed friends to take hold with him. So here's my question to you. When things start to break in your world, who do you signal to for help? 
Do you have a circle of friends? Do you have partners who you can signal to and they will come and help you take hold of what God has for you? Not pick up the pieces after it's all fallen apart, but to take hold while it is happening so that you don't miss what God has for you. So the blessing doesn't overwhelm you or sink you, but you take hold and possession of it. Do you have people in your life Do you have relationships in your life that can help you do that? And I want to challenge you and encourage you. That's why we have life groups and we have a dream team at Celebration Church. We have life groups because we want to put people in your life that will help you take hold of what God has for you. Here's a great example. In the same chapter we're reading, when you go home, finish reading the chapter, you're going to see a scene where a paralyzed man is, is carried by his friends to Jesus. And the friends go to Jesus. Jesus is teaching in a house, and they can't get in the front door. They can't get in the back door. They can't come in a window because the house is jam-packed with people. But these friends are determined to get their paralyzed friend on a stretcher before the Lord. So they go up on a roof and start tearing the roof off a place, lower their friend down. And this is the part that's incredible. Jesus, in the scripture, it says he saw the friend's faith and he healed the man. The man was paralyzed, could not move. Scripture doesn't tell us he had any faith. It was the friend's faith that brought him to Jesus, that moved Jesus in such a way that he healed the paralyzed man. I want to submit to you that you need a circle of friends in your life that will tear the roof off a place if you need it. Sometimes you don't have the strength. Sometimes you are paralyzed in the situation you are in and you don't know how to move forward. You can't move back and you can't crawl side to side. You are stuck where you're at. That's where you need friends to come grab your stretcher and say, well, I've got enough faith to lend you. Trust, use my strength. I have a measure of confidence. Take this for a season. We are gonna get you before Jesus. This situation is gonna turn around. And that's what a life group is. That's what God wants for every single person. 1 John 1, 9 says that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That is the promise we have. We walk in forgiveness. But James 5, 13 says this. It says, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed because the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So listen to what just happened. You go to God for forgiveness, you go to God's people for healing. You go to God for forgiveness, you go to God's people for healing. There are a lot of people who are walking around who love Jesus, are going to heaven, and are forgiven, but they are not healed because they haven't been to God's people. Now, God's people, hear me, they come to you for healing, not a beating. They come to you for healing, not a beating. The prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And that's what a life group does. It puts you in a circle of friends who are going to take you to Jesus no matter what and who are going to help you walk healed in Jesus' name and our dream team as well. So if you've got an app, if you've got the website, you can go out to the little table in the lobby. We will get you plugged in today. 
in a life group or a dream team because you're going to need the right relationships at the right time when your breaking point comes. Not if, when. Everybody takes a season. Amen? So Peter chose relationships. The second or third one is Peter chose repentance. If you flip down here to verse uh, 8, it says, Peter saw all of this. He fell down at Jesus' knees and he said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And I love Jesus' response. Jesus said, have no fear, Peter. From now on, you will be catching men. I love Peter's story because he tells me you can make a mistake and keep going. Peter's story is this. It is better to follow and fail than to fail to follow at all. It is better for you to just say, yes, Lord, because you say so. And even if you stumble along the way, this is the, this is the man, Peter, you know his story. He denied the Lord three times on the eve of the crucifixion. And the Lord forgave him. And this is his story. Even after the Lord is resurrected in the book of Acts, the new church is getting started. Peter is, is a father in the New Testament church. And Peter doesn't believe that if Gentiles can be a part of the church, he thinks you have to be Jewish to be a part of the church. And so much so that the Lord comes and he says, Peter, I want you to go to this man Cornelius' house. He's expecting you. Go share with him the good news. And Peter's like, he's a Roman, not a Jew. And the Lord appears to him in a vision and says, what I have made clean is clean. Go to Cornelius' house. Peter made mistakes, y'all. He had tremendous faith, but he stumbled along the way. You and I are going to make mistakes and we're going to stumble along the way, but repentance keeps us from missing what God has for us. Repentance is what keeps our actions and our hearts aligned in one. That's the beauty of it. So Peter comes to the Lord, and he's, he's at a breaking point, and he's watching all of this happen with the nets and the boats and, and the fish. It's interesting to me. He didn't go out and cast the nets. He sent people to cast the nets. And he sits back and he's like, in his mind, I can just kind of see him with his arms crossed in my mind's eye going, yeah, carpenter knows how to fish. We're going to see how this works out. Yeah, let me humor him, let down a net. And then he's sitting there and the nets are just filled up and beginning to break. Boats are sinking. And the scripture we just read says he fell to Jesus' needs and said, depart from me for I am a sinful man. In actuality, Peter had done everything the Lord had asked him to. Why did he feel so guilty? His actions, he, he, he did what the Lord told him to. The difference was Peter knew in his heart he hadn't done what the Lord told him to. He went through the motions, but his heart wasn't in it. I had a situation about three or four weeks ago where I, I felt and looked a lot like Peter. Someone came to me, someone I respect a great deal, and they said, we'd like for, I'd like to do such and such. And I'm, I'm sitting there with my arms crossed going, yeah, I'm the director of ministries. I kind of know how this thing works, okay? I've tried this, I've tried that, but you, if you think it's going to work, you go do what you think is going to work, okay? And I wasn't ugly. My lips and my actions were obedient, but in my heart, 
I was offended and resentful. So I'm sitting here like Peter, waiting, anticipating, expecting this person to fumble. But I'm just sitting there, kind of like Peter sitting there going, yeah, we're going to see how many fish we're going to catch today. And lo and behold, the Lord blew the doors off the ministry this person had. And I sat there and went, I'll be doggone. You are God and I am not. (laughs) And for a split second, I debated whether or not I needed to ask for forgiveness. Because legally, my actions did not betray anything but support. And I wrestled with that for like two or three days. And you may be sitting here today and you have an offense against someone and legally they can't prove a thing because you have been very careful with your texts, your emails, and your conversations. (laughs) But in your heart, you know the internal conversations you've had and it isn't right. And so after I wrestled with that ball and chain for like three days, I was sitting at my desk and I finally was like, Lord, I gotta give this thing up. And I went and I found that person. And I said, look, I I need to ask for your forgiveness. I have been harboring resentment against you and I was offended at your recommendation and I need to apologize to you and ask you to forgive me. My actions were with you, but my heart was not. And I need you to forgive me. And they were so gracious. Oh, of course, of course, you don't need to do that. And I was like, I do. I do need to do this. And it was like a dam broke in my life. The scripture says that repent so that times of refreshing can come to you. I had a lack of mercy. I had a lack of grace. All these like different things were eating me up and I couldn't figure out what the problem was. And then I realized I'd been walking around with this ball and chain. As soon as I confessed it, as soon as I asked for forgiveness, it was like a spring welled up inside me. And that's the scene from Peter. He chose obedience. He chose relationships. But his most important choice was repentance. And it set him up for a ministry and a walk with Jesus that few people on this planet have experienced. And you and I are the same. You know, the enemy hates repentance because as soon as you repent, it severs your past from your peasant. That's why he hates it. That's why he'll convince you not to do it. That's why he'll say, well, legally, they can't prove a thing. And you're the only one who knows what you've been thinking. But the minute you confess it, the minute you repent, your past is severed from your present and you can walk forward with God. Jesus, the minute Peter said, forgive me, he said, Peter, don't worry about it. Have no fear. From now on, you're going to catch men. He immediately thought to Peter's future. He immediately thought to Peter's uh, potential. And he's like, I'm going to teach you how to catch a whole different kind of fish, Peter. Your enemy will constantly remind you of your past. And your Savior will constantly look to your future. And that's the beauty of repentance. So the next time you find yourself at the breaking point, choose obedience. Choose relationships. And choose repentance. Let's stand together. 
And prayer partners, if you'll come up and help me, I'd appreciate it. And just agree with me in prayer. You know, the first words that Peter ever heard Jesus utter were, come and follow me. It was an invitation. It's in the book of Mark. And then in John 21, the last words that Peter hears Jesus utter is, Peter, you must follow me. Jesus' message to you and I is exactly the same. When you're at the breaking point, when you don't know where to turn, follow me, follow me, follow me. And the reason our prayer partners are here together today is we don't know where you're at. We don't know if you're struggling with, with a choice and it's obedience and you need someone just to help affirm you. They will pray scripture. They will pray the will of God in your life. They don't believe God can do something. They believe God will do something. And sometimes you just need somebody to just help you take hold of that thing. Some of you just need someone to lend you some, some strength, to lend you their faith. And these folks, you can't apply to be in this ministry. You're recruited to be in this ministry. And they have the strength and the reserves of faith to be able to lend that to you in this moment. And some other folks, you may be struggling with, with something in your heart. It's a repentance thing. The scripture says, come to the altar. I love it. In Isaiah, it says, let us reason together. Jesus is ready to reason with you. He wants you to get rid of that thing. He wants you to walk out of here different than the way you came in. And that's what this altar is for. So the team is going to sing this song one time through. I'm going to pray for us. And I just want the altar to be open and the words of Jesus to echo in your mind. Come, come, come. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. And these folks will help that happen. So let's pray together. Lord, in the name of Jesus, Father, I thank you for every single person here. God, I thank you, God, that you have divinely appointed them to hear your word today. God, that your word has gone forth, Father. God, it's fallen on good ground. Lord, that even now the Holy Spirit is reminding them of things, is encouraging them in a way only the Holy Spirit can. Father, I pray that there will be strength in this room, supernatural strength, Father God, to make the decisions that they need to make to propel them into the future you have for them. God, I pray for a supernatural outpouring of, of love, God, and community as they choose relationships and friends to help them take hold of what God has for them. And Father, I thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ. God, I thank you that you are faithful, that you are just, that Lord, when we confess our sins, we are forgiven in that moment in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you that you are slow to anger and abounding in mercy. And God, we worship you and adore you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the altar is open. Let's sing this through, and then I'll see you next week.